Good morning. This week we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kisovo. The deeper we get into Sefer Dvarim, the closer we're getting to Rosh Hashanah, Simchas Torah, and the completion of our reading of the Torah. Parshas Kisovo contains within it the second appearance of the Tochacha, of the uh, rebuke, of the uh, admonition. And our rabbis tell us that we read it before Rosh Hashanah because we want to end the year with all of its curses. Let's take this set of curses, let's take the tochacha, let's take this harsh rebuke, and let's put it behind us. It's time to move forward, it's time to turn the corner, turn the page, it's time for a fresh start and a fresh beginning. So let's start from the beginning of Kisavo, we'll as always give our overview of the parsha, and then delve into some specific psukim. So the parsha begins on page 1068, the art scroll stone chumash. And the parsha's Kisavo begins with the laws of Bikurim, of the first fruit, the farmer would, uh, after conquering the land, the farmer is warned that when its fruit ripens, he takes it to the Kohen, he, pre- he takes it to the Beis Amikdash, he comes to Yushalayim, he presents it to the Kohen, an entire ceremony with great pomp and circumstance, and waves it in a basket, and there's an entire ceremony for that little, tiny, little first fruit. And there's all this powerful message about the notion of first, that with the dedication of the first fruit, we've spoken about this in the past, the farmer is expressing his gratitude to the Almighty. Incredible. You know, the first of what you produce, the first of your labor, the first of all of your effort and your devotion is special to you. It means more to you than anything else. That first paycheck, the first dollar that you earn, the first fruit that grows on your fruit tree, the first thing on your vine, that's uh, most precious and most valuable. So the farmer takes that specifically and brings it and dedicates it to the Almighty, that which is most precious and most dear, that which he'll feel most entitled to. After all, he planted the seed. He nurtured and he watered. He tended to and he cared for. So he feels most entitled to. It's his. And yet he takes that which normally he would feel is his and he gives it to the Ribbon Shalom. That's an incredible act of submission. It's an incredible act of devotion and of gratitude with the recognition that despite all of his efforts, nevertheless, really everything belongs to Hashem. There's a Vidu Bikurim. The farmer recites an entire uh, formula while he stands there, Arami Ovid Avi, Vayerd Mitzrayim, a whole formulation. And this we repeat in the Haggadah, which begs the question around Pesach time, why in the world are we focusing at the Haggadah on the story of Arami Ovid Avi, the laws of Bikurim? What does Pesach, what does Seder night have to do with this at all? And why is the farmer, when he comes and brings the first fruit, why is the farmer specifically reminded of Arami Ovid Avi? which we know can be interpreted in a number of different ways. And Aramean tried to destroy my father. Who was that? Lavan, who tried to deceive Yaakov. There's only one problem. We discussed this actually last Pesach. If you study Sefer Bereshus, you see that at no point does Lavan try to destroy Yaakov. Yaakov is, Lavan is never trying to destroy Yaakov. He tries to deceive Yaakov. He tries to trick Yaakov. He tries to mislead Yaakov. He tries to exploit Yaakov, but he never tries to kill him. So why do we come to the Vidu Bikurim, Mikra Bikurim? The Mikra Bikurim, the farmer comes and he recites, Lavan tried to destroy my father Yaakov. Now he doesn't say that. He uses pronouns. And Aramean tried to destroy my father. Who's Aramean? Who's the father? Is subject to debate. But if you understand that as we typically do, it's Lavan and Yaakov. Nowhere do we find Lavan trying to destroy Yaakov. So we discussed that on Pesach. Anyway, let's keep going. I gotta leave some things here as, as questions for you, so you keep uh, you keep coming back. The farmer then recites the uh, mikra bikurim. I'm sorry, the mikra bikurim is uh, when he brings the fruit. The farmer then recites the vidoy meiser. 
the vidui meiser. After he separates all the tithes that he is obligated to separate, right? Israel is a very special place where you have mitzvahs hatzliyos ba'aretz. You have spiritual accomplishments that depend on the land. Outside of Israel, spirituality is divided from the physical world. But only in Israel is the earth, is the soil of the earth holy. That which grows from the soil of the earth is holy. Particularly this year, Kedusha Shviyas. It's a Shemitah year. You go, buy, uh, you go to Publix, and you buy an apple or an orange or a red pepper. It's an apple or an orange or a red pepper. That's all it is. You go to Israel and you buy fruit. It has Kedusha Shviyas, depending where you're buying it and so on. But it has the sanctity of the seventh land. That, that is a holy, piece of, it's a holy piece of fruit. It's holy. It has Kedusha. So much so that whatever refuse remains from it, the peels whatever you didn't eat, doesn't get thrown in the garbage. Every observant home in Israel this year has a pach shviyas, a pach shemitah, has a special garbage next to the regular garbage where you put the remains, the refuse of, of shemitah. Why? Because you don't throw out something that's holy. Only in Israel can something that grows from the ground to the tree be holy. You have mitzvah tzliyos bar, it's the soil, the earth, it's holy. You separate because Israel is the special place that is the bridge between the physical world and the gateway, the entrance to the heavens, the spiritual world. That's where that bridge takes place. Outside of Israel, in Chutz Laaretz, we live a bifurcated life. We're living two parallel lives. There's the physical life and the spiritual life. And of course, we're trying to elevate the physical all the time. We make a bracha on food and we keep kosher and so on and so forth, even outside of Israel. But Israel uniquely has that bridge. Mitzvah Hatiluyos Ba'aretz. So here you have... These, uh, these laws of Miser, the obligation to take the different tithes. On the seven-year cycle, there's different separate, different tithes that the farmer has to take from his produce depending on what year it is. And at the conclusion, when the farmer has been able to, been able to articulate with confidence, able to affirm that he has separated all the tithes of the Trumas and Maestros the way he's supposed to, he recites a confession. And what's the confession? What our rabbis call Vidoy Maeser? The farmer stands there and he says, I've not violated any of your laws. I haven't forgotten. The farmer goes on to recite all the things he didn't do wrong. And our rabbis call this the confession of Miser. Which begs the question, when you think of confession, what do you normally think of? What are you admitting it's an admission of wrongdoing. Here the farmer stands there and he says, I have a confession to make. I've done nothing wrong. I'm perfect. It's my confession. I've observed all the laws perfectly. I followed everything to a T. So I'd like to offer you a confession, God, and my confession is, I'm perfect. I've done nothing wrong. It's kind of a bizarre confession. What kind of confession is a statement of it's not an admission of wrongdoing, but a statement of confidence of doing everything right. Why would our rabbis call that confession? It must lend insight into what confession is. What is vidui? When we think of vidui, vidui for us is a necessary uh, component of tshuva. The Rambam writes, if you feel you did something wrong and you make a pledge and a commitment never to repeat it in the future, but you never articulated what you did wrong, you have not fulfilled the concept of tshuva. Tshuva is predicated on an admission. And we... Recite that admission. We're going to begin this Saturday night with slichos. When we say Ashamnu, uh, Bagadnu, and so on. And we're going to keep confessing and confessing all the way through Ni'ilah of Yom Kippur. 
And we are encouraged to offer personalized confession, not just to use the generic formula. The generic formula is a template for us to fill in the things that we have remorse, that we have regret, that we need to work on. Tshuva is incomplete if it doesn't include uh, vidu. You have to articulate what you did wrong. So how could here the farmer, how could it be called vidu meiser, the confession of meiser, when he's saying everything he did right? That is question number two that I will not answer. I encourage you to give it some thought and to look into. Okay. And then Moshe Rabbeinu, again, we're on the last day of his life, and he's giving this tremendous pep talk, this unbelievable motivational speech to the Jewish people, reminding them of all that they've lived through, of all of their obligations, and so on. And in the next section, we're on the bottom of page 1070, he talks about the incredible relationship between B'nai Yisrael, Klai Yisrael, and the Ribbono Shalom, the master of the universe. We are Knesset Yisrael. We are a people bound by a bris, by a covenant. We are a covenantal community who are charged to live with a mission. And that's what he tells them. We've discussed this in the past. You can listen online. Hayom on this day God has commanded you, Moshe tells them. Hashem said, to walk in His ways. And Hashem promised you, if you do, there will be a reciprocal relationship. And what is that? You will be for God. Hashem ha'emir ha'yom lios lo... La'am Segula. You will be a nation of Segula. Kasher Dir Bilach. What do you see here, by the way? When it says that you'll be a nation of... I'm not going to harp on this because I give this rant too often. But when it says you'll be a nation of Segula, what does it mean to be a nation that believes in Segula? It doesn't mean red bendels. So it doesn't mean the school of Aki and the Chala and the thing and the thing and the this and that and the red bendel and the not stepping over and the poor backwear. Segula doesn't mean a people of superstition. That's not what it means. What does it mean, La'am Segula? Look at the end of the Pasuk. God will make you La'am Segula kasher de bilach when Lishmur kol mitzvosav. We have 613 Segulas. A Segula means a treasured nation, a treasured people. But we use the term Segula to mean, you know, it's a schooler. It's a schooler to have children. A schooler for Parnassah. It's a schooler for Shalom Bayis. It's a schooler, it's a schooler, it's a schooler. Someone wants to put out a whole list. Yeah, a schooler for Parnassah is having a job. A school for Shalom Bayes is doing the dishes. A school for... But we have, we have 613 schoolers. They're called mitzvahs, and you see that from this Pasuk. Okay, keep going. Moshe gives the people yet another commitment. Shamor is kol mitzvah shenochi mitzvah eschem ayom. On the top of the next page, 1072. Over and over, it's a reminder of the covenant. The relationship we have with Hashem is not casual. It's not one that we can resign our membership it's not one that we can let our membership lapse. This is a covenantal community. We've entered a corporate relationship with the Almighty. We're bound by a constitution. Just like if I wake up in America in 2015 and say, hey, I'm not a man of the founding fathers. I never agreed to the Bill of Rights. I never signed on to the Declaration of Independence. I never committed to observe the constitution. Why am I bound by that? They lived hundreds of years ago. That's not me. The answer is because I'm born into a society, I'm born into a people, I'm born into a nation that has a covenant, that has a contract, that is bound by a constitution. And I can't escape it. Now in America you can, you can move to another country, but it's going to have its constitution. To be born among the Jewish people is to be born into a covenantal community that's bound by a contract, by a commitment. It's a reciprocal relationship. We have our promises to the Almighty, and He therefore makes promises to, to us. And then the Parsha continues by spelling out the consequences, the accountability to that covenant, com, covenantal community. And the consequences are the blessings and the curses. 
And the Torah tells us, Moshe says, when you cross the Jordan, when you enter the land, you're going to stand six on the top of Hargrizim, six on the top of Harve, Har Eval, the Levium will stand in the middle, and they will proclaim the blessings and the curses, and the people will all answer Amen. And then the Torah gives us examples of these blessings and curses. Yes, Yechavit. Yeah. Yeah, here specifically it says, and the elders of Israel. Yeah, Vizek Ne Yisrael. It's the beginning of the transition. It's the beginning of the transition. So uh, we have the brachos and the klalos. We're not going to spend time, though I'm tempted to, to go through each of them. Why specifically are these issues chosen? Or the person who this. Cursed is the one who does this. Cursed is the one who did that. Cursed is the person who. who uh, is confrontational against his mother and father. Cursed is the person who's, who's masik gvure ehu, who moves the boundary. We know hasagas gvul. Cursed is the person who infringes on the livelihood of another. Cursed is the person who distorts judgment against the orphan and the widow. Cursed is the person who lives a promiscuous life. Cursed all of these things. There's a fascinating one. The last one. Cursed is a person who does not uphold the words of the Torah. What is that talking about? What does it mean? Cursed is the one who doesn't uphold. Rashi says, With this verse, Moshe takes the entirety of Torah, the entirety of Jewish law and says, Cursed is a person who does not embrace a lifestyle of observance. This is a lifestyle that God has given us. It's not optional. It's the law. We have Jewish laws. American law is not negotiable. When the policeman pulls me over for speeding, I can't say, look, I never accepted that law. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad that you decided to go 55 miles an hour. I never accepted it. Well, from a Jewish perspective, similarly, Jewish law is not negotiable. You can't say, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. Or I'm, uh, I'm picking and choosing. Or I'm walking away. You can literally walk away if you want to, but from God's perspective, there is a system of law that has consequences, that has accountability. So Rashi says, This is where we took the oath to live an observant life with the recognition that to violate the law, just like when you take an oath to be an American citizen, you have a commitment to observe the American law. But the Ramban is a different interpretation. The Ramban first quotes one interpretation that this is a reference to Hagbah. It has to do with the lifting of the Torah, literally Hagba. But then the Ramban says, no. What does this mean? Cursed is the person, this is critically important for our generation, where we have such opportunities for outreach each and every day. Cursed is the person who has an opportunity to strengthen Torah and walks away and turns their eyes. Says the Ramban means you're in public, or at the gym, or your neighbor bagels you. They use some Jewish term because they want you to know they're Jewish. They're begging you, invite me for a Shabbos meal. They're begging you, invite me for a Yom Yom Naraim service somewhere. They're begging you, touch my Jewish soul, say something to my soul which is so thirsty and hungry. And what do you do? You say, "Ah, I don't want to get involved. I just want to pay for the groceries and get out of here. I just want to work out in the gym. I'm not looking to make new friends. Uh, I'm not into outreach. I'm not Rabbi Brody. I don't know what I'm doing. I just turn my eyes, close my eyes and I turn away. Says the Torah, according to the Ramban, Aror, you're cursed. Cursed is the one who has the opportunity, who has the opportunity to enrich someone else's life with Torah and neglects it and passes it up and doesn't take advantage. It's a very powerful cursed. It's a very powerful imagery. Okay, Parsha continues again. More of the blessings now. You have the inverse 
Baruch Uvo Alacha Kola Brachos if you do observe Hashem's Torah, if you do live the life that God has mandated for us, if you do meet the expectations, ooh, now your life is filled with bracha. And it's fascinating to see what the brachas are. Everything in your life will flourish and thrive. You'll have children easily, and your fruit will grow easily, and your animals will have children easily. Everything you touch will turn to gold. When you come in, when you go out, Hashem, the enemies will run away from you, um, you, you know, will, will flee from you, will fear from you, you'll live a peaceful life, you'll live a prosperous life. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful depiction, enough to make you actually want to be observant, to earn, to earn this reward. Now, I don't, we're not going to get into now, but life is not so simple, because we do also have the great question of theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? Good things happen to bad people? It's not as simple as superficially or on the surface the Parsha seems. It's not that, keep Torah and mitzvahs and everything's good. There are the most sincere, from incredible, virtuous people who struggle with infertility, who struggle with parnasa, And there are wicked, evil, obnoxious, mean, corrupt, low lives who look like everything's great in their life. That's the question of theodicy. It's an age-old question, not for today, but I at least want to acknowledge it, that it's not as simple as the Parsha seems. It could be that the Torah is not speaking to the individual, but here in Kisavo, the Torah is speaking about one of the differences between the two Tochuchas, but here the Torah is speaking in terms of communally, nationally, receiving these blessings or experiencing these curse. It's how we react as a society. It's how we react as a nation rather than the individual question of Tzadik Varalo, Russia Vitovlo. Yeah, Alex. Why is it using the Yeah, because it could be the singular as a nation. The singular as a nation. Okay, let's keep going. Then you have the Harabal Tochacha, which is read in an undertone by the uh, Balkore where you have the whole question, uh, who's going to get it? You see the communities that love the rabbi, where they give the rabbi the tochach aliyah, and they wonder why the rabbi uh, loses his hair, turns gray, gets sick, is tired. You give him the tochach twice a year, what do you think is going to happen to him? And then we get to the uh, end of the parsha after the tochach. And that's what I want to study today, is the last section of Parsha's Kisavo, which I think is often very neglected. Because when people think of Parshas Kisavo, they study the Bikurim, and they study Vidoy Meiser, and they study the Bris, the covenant with Hashem, and they get to the Barachas and Klalos and Hargrizim and Har Eval, they get to the Torah, and they're tired, they're done with Parshas Kisavo. But the end of Parshas Kisavo contains a Pasuk, which I think is so important. In fact, it's the very last Pasuk of our Parsha, which we'll get to in a moment, that I want to study with you, because I think it's this final parsha of the Pasuk of the Parsha, that I would humbly submit to you today contains the secret to a meaningful life. The secret to a happy life. The secret to everything that we're looking for in life. That'll make you listen to the rest of the class, right? Okay. Perichavtes, chapter 29, verse Aleph. Pasuk Aleph. We're on page 1084 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Okay, Perichavtes, Pasuk Aleph. Says the Torah. Moshe called out to all of the Jewish people and he said to them, He calls out and he says to them, You, you have seen everything God did with your eyes in Egypt to Paro, to his slaves and to his whole land. Now, yes, the generation who lived in the desert died, but not all of them. Not all of them. Those who were under 20 when they left remained alive. The tribe of Levi remained alive. 
the women remained alive. So a significant portion of the population remained living. And what Moshe is saying, you saw with your own eyes, he's speaking to those who literally saw with their own eyes, and even the next generation of those who've died, who, the equivalent of having seen with their own eyes, when you hear first-person testimony from your parent about something they experienced, right? If you're the second generation of a Holocaust survivor, you have any doubt of what your parent testifies to happened in the concentration camp? It's as if you saw with your own eyes those things. So Moshe is speaking to an entire people. Those who literally are surviving who saw with their own eyes, and even the second generation who heard the testimony of their parent, it's as if they saw it with their own eyes. And he says to them, you saw. You saw. This is, it's kind of the bookend to the Parsha. Or the bookend, Moshe is about to die. These are almost his parting words. And he says, listen, I've tried to motivate you. I've tried to inspire you. I've tried to tell you you have to have gratitude and you have to have humility and you have to live life with faith and don't forget that your success is dependent on the Almighty's graciousness. But let me just tell you, you saw, I'm not speaking many, many, many generations later. I'm not speaking to a group who are blinded, a group who live with doubt and uncertainty and confusion about whether the Almighty lives and whether the Almighty exists and whether the Almighty cares about them. I'm talking to you. You saw it with your own eyes. Pasuk Beis. You saw the great trials your eyes beheld, the signs and the wonders. You saw things that nobody ever saw before. You saw nature suspended. You saw nature violated. You saw magnificent miracles. You saw the hardening of Paro's heart. You saw incredible, incredible things. We should merit to see it, please God, in the next 11 days. Such things that the world order should turn in such a way where everyone will change their mind to help preserve true peace and security. We should merit it. But you saw with your own eyes, says Moshe. Wow. Moshe says, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, you saw with your own eyes. But God did not give you a discerning heart or eyes to see or ears to hear until today. Until today. You knew about it 40 years ago. You lived it. You saw it. You heard about it. But you're not really absorbing it. You're not really integrating it. It hasn't really transformed you. Why not? What happened for 40 years? What's going on here? It's kind of a bizarre Pasuk, isn't it? Moshe's closing words, almost his final words to them is, for 40 years you've been an incredulous people. For 40 years you've been complaining, you've been never, you, for 40 years you're driving me crazy. But it's over. We're going into the land and you're about to become a true nation. You're about to realize why God took us out. You're going from your infancy to your adolescence and you're going to mature into a people with a judicial system and a police force and an agricultural society and a government and, and a religious infrastructure of a Sanhedrin and a Beis Amikdash. You're going to graduate. And for 40 years you didn't really... You didn't really understand, you didn't really comprehend everything you had seen until today. But why not? What happened those 40 years? Exactly. Why is Moshe saying that? Oh. So let's keep reading and then we'll come back. I walked with you 
For 40 years, I led you 40 years in the Midbar. Your clothing never got worn out. You never, you never got uh, ragged and never got tired on you. And your shoes didn't wear out from your feet. You never needed new shoes. If you have little kids, you know how often you're buying new shoes. The feet are growing, the shoes are wearing out. 40 years, your children grew up and they never, their shoes grew with them. 40 years, the clothing continued. Every parent knows the kid's back to school now. You just spent the last couple of weeks of the summer emptying your bank account on clothing and shoes and uniforms. And Moshe says, a miracle, 40 years. And you never, it all worked. You never ate bread, wine, beer, you never consumed. All of that was so that you would know all of that was to arrive at this moment. You lived a miraculous existence. The miracles didn't end 40 years ago when you left Egypt. You experienced a 40-year-long miracle, miraculous existence. Your clothing was a miracle. Your shoes were a miracle. Your food, your drink, your protection, your security. It was all a miracle. So you don't know until today. Only now. And what's the today? Only now, Hami suggests, only now, when you're going to enter the land, when you're going to live without miracles, only now that you're going to turn to a natural order of life, where the man's not going to fall from the sky, but you're going to have to break your back, making it grow from the ground. Where the clouds aren't going to protect you from the heavens, you're going to have to break your back in basic training, learning to serve in the army where the water is not going to follow you and miraculously come through the well, you're going to have to learn to depend on the rain. You're going to have to learn to desalinate and to do all the things that are being done in Israel to be, have access to fresh water. Only, only now will you appreciate what God did for you all those years. Only now will you appreciate the revelation, the miracles. And when you now appreciate it, don't forget what Hashem did for you. Don't forget He exists. Don't forget He's in your life. And not only that, continuing. What else did God do in the desert? When you arrive at this place, Sichon, the king of Cheshbon, and O king of Basham went out. And who won? You were in your infancy. You weren't really forged as, a, as, a, as, a, uh, as an army. We're going to show the film this year. Steven Spielberg's sister put out an incredible movie of Israel's Air Force in 1948. Israel's Air Force in 1948 was like six planes that was made up of spare parts that was flown by retired American Air Force people, American Jews who went to Israel. And literally with like six or seven planes in 1948, Israel defeated the enemies on all sides. You see this movie and you say, Haosos v'hamofsim necha. You, you get goosebumps. You can't help but think these are unbelievable. Literally, and in the interviews with these pilots, they talk about they weren't sure when they pulled back on the throttle that the plane was going to lift in the air. It was made out of spare parts. Literally, it was made out of discarded spare British planes and other things that they just like duct taped together <laughs> and recruited retired Air Force people who risked their lives to fly these missions. And we have the modern state of Israel who now is the strongest Air Force in the Middle East. And needs an even stronger one. So that's what Moshe says. Right? 1948, what were you? You were Holocaust survivors. You came out of slavery. You were, you were emaciated. You were weak. You were tired. You were a trained army. You were an Air Force. Are you kidding me? In 1948? And Vana came. You were attacked by Og Melech 
You're psycho cheshbon. You're attacked by all the surrounding Arab countries. And Vanakem, you won. Don't forget all this. And we took their land, right? Because east of the Yardin was this battle with Cheshbon and with, and with uh, Bashan. We, we conquered their land east of the Yardin and we gave it to the two and a half tribes that asked for the land east of the Yardin. And now we get to the final Pasuk. And because of all of this, as a result of all this, when you are mindful of all of this, now observe all of this bris. Everything I've been talking about throughout Sefer Dvarim, says Moshe. The covenant, the obligation, the, co- the commitment you have to the Almighty, being part of a covenantal community, being bound by Jewish law, having a mandate to be a light unto the nations. All of this bris, do it. We'll come back to that last phrase in a moment. Okay, so that's this last parak. That's the last section of Parshas Kisavo. What does it mean, a lev ladas? Rashi, Pasuk Gimel. Go back to Rashi. God did not give you a heart to know until today. That's a great expression, right? Lev ladas. We've seen this in a number of places. The notion of the idea of a knowing heart. A knowing heart. Lev ladas. Rashi says, God has not given you a discerning heart to, to recognize, to acknowledge the graciousness of Hashem and to cling to Him. What do you mean God hasn't given it until now? The answer is, when you're used to something, you don't appreciate it. You can't acknowledge it. You don't even recognize it because it's the default. It's all that you know. It's when you live without it that you can begin to appreciate it. But when it's all that you know, then you don't recognize it. What's Ad Hayom Rashi says, you don't appreciate it until this day. Shamati, I heard. On that day, this last day of Moshe's life, and at this point, Moshe took the Torah that he had been, he had been taking dictation from Hashem. Right? Every time the Torah tells us that Hashem summoned Moshe to the Oa Moed, Moshe met him in the Oa Moed, and God said, Moshe, take dictation. I want to record this event that just happened. I want to record another set of laws. I want you to record something. So Moshe sat there writing as Hashem gave him dictation. Right? When we say that we got the Torah from Hashem in Hashemayim, it does not mean that a Torah scroll you know, floated down from the heavens. Was it Ashkenazi? Was it Tzvardi? Was it Temani? Uh, what did the case look like? Whose name was embroidered on the, on the mantel? Who dedicated that Torah? It, a Torah didn't float down from heaven. Each time Hashem summoned Moshe to the old Moed, He said, Moshe, take your quill and take your parchment, I want you to record in my words something that just happened or a set of laws. And Moshe recorded them. And every time that we have a psucha or stuma, every time that we have a break in the text, it means Moshe had to pause to contemplate, to think about what Hashem had said. Moshe wrote them down on all individual little scrolls. And at the end of his life, Hashem told Moshe, it's time to sew them all together and to form a Sefer Torah. And that's what Moshe did. In fact, that Sefer Torah, the original Torah of Moshe, was housed in the Aron. In the Aron itself, next to the Luchos and, the, uh, and a canister of the, of the Man. So this first Sefer Torah, which begs the question, we're not there yet, but at the very end of the Torah, begs the question, how is it that Moshe wrote about his own life, the last eight psukim of the Torah, which contained Moshe's death? Did Moshe write that prophetically? Was that written by Yehoshua? 
the Gemara records a dispute exactly how we have those last Pesukim of the Torah. But this is the first Sefer Torah that we have. It also explains why we have a debate about Ein Muktamam Uchar Torah or Yesh Muktamam Uchar Torah. Is the Torah written thematically or is the Torah written chronologically? We sometimes have things that seem out of order. And we have commentators who have a tradition that, yeah, the Torah is written out of order. And others say, no, the Torah is written chronologically. Well, if you understand that Moshe took independent individual scrolls and put them together to form the Torah based on Hashem's uh, instructions, you can understand why it might have been out of order. It might have been thematic and it might have been chronologic. It depends. So in any case, Rashi here tells us a tradition that on this day, the last day of Moshe's life, he takes his Torah and he gives it to whom? Levnei Levi. So the Jewish people charge to Moshe and they say, Moshe Rabbeinu, what is going on here? Why are you giving this precious recording of your teachings? You're about to die. This is all we have to connect to you, to connect to our Sinai, to connect to Torah. Why are you giving it only to the Kohanim? We too stood at Sinai. We too accepted the Torah. And God gave the Torah to us as well. Why are you giving your tribe rule over the Torah? And what's going to happen, say the people? You're going to die and tomorrow they're going to say, it's our Torah, not yours. Good luck, we're the Jewish people. We are the true descendants. We are the true progeny of Moshe, of Hashem. It's our Torah. We are the chosen, not you. This is what the people charge Moshe and say. So how does Moshe react? Says Rashi. V'samach Moshe al-Hadavar. Ooh, Moshe was besimcha. Yalzos amar lahem, hayom hazeh niyes la'am. Hayom hazeh avanti, she'atem dvekem v'chafetzim b'makom. Moshe was thrilled. Moshe thought he's giving it to the Kohanim, to his own tribe, to look after, to hold on to. He didn't have anything uh, nefarious in mind. But when the people react the way they do, Hayomazeh. Now Moshe says, they get it. They get it. If the Torah is so precious to them, if they want access to it so badly, if they are coming and this is their complaint now, not we want more water, not we want more meat. Now we're tired, let's go back to Egypt. But now at the end of 40 years, their complaint is, it's not fair to us. We want the Torah too. Moshe says, ooh, I've completed my mission. Satisfaction. I've brought them to the destination, to the finish line. They get it. That's the Arayom That's what he says. For 40 years, I wasn't sure you got it. For 40 years, all I heard about was, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're tired, let's go back to Egypt, it's miserable, what I bring you out here. I wasn't sure you got it. But now that this was the interaction, now that you came to me in this way, now I have confidence. Now I know that you get it. Okay. Um, the Sforno also interpretations interprets, what does it mean that you didn't have a lev ladas until today? Says the Sforno. Even though God has tried for 40 years God has stubbornly tried to inculcate within you this sense of His existence, this loyalty and faithfulness to Him. As it says, so that you'll tell your children, so you'll know, you have not heard it. Why? Because of all of your bitterness. Because of all of your complaints. You see, if you're bitter 
And if you're cynical, and if you're a complainer, you're shut down, you're incapable of hearing the messages you need to hear. The messages you need to hear don't penetrate when you have a force field of cynicism and sarcasm, of negativity, of complaining. When there's a negative energy around you, you can't even hear God talking to you. So God says, for 40 years, I've been telling you, I want you to know I'm here and I love you and I care for you in our relationship in the covenantal community. But from your bitterness, from your complaining, from your negativity, you couldn't hear it. Today you have graduated. Today you have arrived. Today you finally hear it. What does it mean? The Pasuk said they didn't eat bread and they didn't drink wine. They didn't eat bread in the desert. What does that mean? What does that mean? So the Ramban says, What it means, you didn't eat bread in the desert, means you didn't have to plant and grow wheat and harvest and winnow and thresh and separate and knead and uh, bake. And you didn't have to do the 13 steps that are sidur the pas. You didn't have to do all the things that are involved in making bread. You had the luxury. You know where bread came from? Just fell down. Lechem lo achaltem. So the Ramban says it doesn't mean you didn't eat bread. If you wanted the man to taste like bread, it could. What it meant is you didn't put in the labor. You lived off of miracles. You lived off of miracles. Okay. Look at Rashi Pasuk Vav. And when you got to the land and you were greeted by Cheshbon and by Bashan, east of the Yardin, we fought this war Right? I gave you the land of Israel right after you came out of the slavery of, uh, of the Holocaust and you were attacked immediately and you were weak, emaciated, untrained, unskilled, without resource army and when I came and you won. Says Rashi, So now, says Rashi, you know, you just defeated established armies. And what's the risk? You're going to think very highly of yourself. You're going to have arrogance an inflated ego. The fear is, yes, Hashem enabled you to defeat them, but don't become arrogant or egotistical. Don't say, oh, who needs God? We're so weak, we just got out of slavery and yet we won. Who needs God? We took care of it on our own. So therefore, now, don't forget He got you there. And the way that you can pledge your loyalty and appreciation to Him is by observing his bris. Okay. Then the Dabarach, Rashi gives a separate interpretation. This is a fascinating insight. God did not give you a heart to know. Wow. For 40 years you get a pass if you're not getting the message. It takes 40 years. Rashi quotes the Gemara Navodah Zarah that from here we have a tradition that it takes 40 years to really understand what your Rebbe was telling you. You think you knew when you walked out of the classroom that day? You think you knew because you sat in his shir for a couple of years? It's not till 40 years later that you really understand and appreciate and can apply the lessons you learned from your teachers. It takes four decades. It takes 40 years. And Rashi in a lifetime. And Rashi says, quoting again the Gemara of Orozar, that that's what the Torah is saying. You had a lev ladas. You know, you, you had all the information. For 40 years, you, you learned. 
but you don't really appreciate or understand until 40 years pass. It takes 40 years to really be able to absorb what your Rebbe was teaching. Okay, this brings us to the last Pasuk, and that's what I really wanted to spend time on for a moment. So what's the sum total? What's the result? Says Moshe of all of this. You saw, you lived, you know, now you've graduated. Observe Hashem's Torah. Why? Lama'an taskilu. Can someone translate the word taskilu, please, for me? Wiser, successful, more intelligent, more understanding. Seichel. The root of the word taskilu is seichel. What is the word seichel? Tell your kid, use your seichel, use your seichel. Logic, common sense. Where's your common sense? Seichel. It's your logic, your intellect, your common sense, your thinking, your rationality. What's your seichel? So all of the Torah is Laman Taskilu. If you want to know, why, do you want, why should you keep halacha? Who cares about the minutia? And who cares about the details? And who cares about all these laws that legislate and regulate everything from every moment that we wake up in the morning until the last moment that we close our eyes at night? How you wake up in the morning, negalvas or moda'ani, tying your shoe, your right before your left, till you go to sleep at night. Hamapil shma, you can't talk. From when you open your eyes till you close them, there is a halacha to tell you what to do. Why? Who needs it? It's overbearing. It's restrictive. What's it all for? So the Torah tells us. You know what it's all for? If you do it, laman taskilo is kol asher ta'asun. What does that mean? Look at the Ibn Ezra. Laman taskilo says the Ibn Ezra means... Kimo tatzlichu. It will enable you, it will empower you, it will drive you towards success. Halacha, the fact that every moment of the day is regulated, what to eat, what to say, what to look, how to listen, where to go, what to, it all is a framework to enable you for a successful life. You want successful relationships, you want a successful diet, you want successful um, happiness, satisfaction, meaning, purpose, life. Here's the blueprint. It's called Torah. Laman taskilu is laman tatzlichu. So that you have success. But how? Where's the success in it? Where's the, and the uh, Unklos, by the way, also translates like the Ibn Ezra. If you look at Unklos, Bedil de titzlichun. So that you have hatzlacha. So that you have hatzlacha. That, that you are matzliach in all that you do. The Svarno has a different interpretation. So that you accomplish all that you're trying to in this world and the next. If you want to accomplish everything in this world and the next, follow the blueprint of Torah. It's the prescription for life. It tells you how to relate to time, how to relate to space, how to relate to the physical world, how to relate to people, how to relate to food, how to relate to intimacy, how to relate to... Follow the Torah and you will achieve, you will accomplish all that you're hoping and longing for in this world and the next. That's the Svarno. But I want to share with you the Targum Yerushalmi. Because the Targum Yerushalmi, the Yerushalmi's Aramaic translation, has a different interpretation of what this word Taskilu means that I think is really an incredible insight and a secret formula. It doesn't have to be secret to a meaningful life. It says the Targum Yerushalmi, you don't have it here in the Mikros Gedolos, yas koma abrin. You will guard all the words of the Torah and observe them so that you will contemplate all that you do. Taskilu for the Targum does not mean success. Laman Taskilu means so that you will lead a 
contemplative life. The purpose of the Torah, according to the Targum Yerushalmi, the purpose of Torah, the essence of a halachic life, is to be a misbonein, is to be mindful, is to be conscious, is to be aware, is to be present in all that you do. See, most people in life are on autopilot. We're creatures of habit. We're creatures of custom and tradition and routine. It's as if our bodies are pre-programmed. They know exactly what to do, whether our minds are present or not. Have you ever found yourself driving and you find yourself somewhere you didn't intend to go because your mind wandered? You don't remember? You ever drive a long distance and you don't even remember one second of that drive? Like your body was on autopilot. Maybe you once finished an entire bag of potato chips but you feel like you only had a couple, you don't remember? Or every meal, you're sitting, you're talking, you're this, you're that, you don't actually remember putting every food in, bite of food into your mouth. Or you close the sitter at the end of davening, knowing that you said everything, but you can't remember saying one word. You don't remember being present for saying one word. We are on autopilot in so much of our lives. So much of our life is on autopilot. And that's a function of being modern man. Modern man has an incredible emphasis and a premium on speed. We want our cars to go from zero to 60 in a few seconds. We upgraded our computers to get the fastest processor possible. Dial-up internet, which a few years ago was luxurious, is antiquated obsolete. I don't know anyone who has dial-up internet. We want a web browser with the fastest speed. We want to eat takeout restaurant that can provide the fastest food. Our oatmeal and our coffee are instant. Our TV shows and our movies are on demand. Our stocks and our sports scores come in real time. We dive in at warp speed. We talk swiftly, we walk briskly, we drive quickly, and so on. So we live in modern man as a premium and speed. Fast, 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 fast. So everything about our lives, our bodies, everything's on autopilot. So the Targum Yerushalmi comes along and he says, you know what halacha does? It slows you down. Halacha says, stop! Think about how you're about to put your shoes on. You just got out of the bathroom, stop! Think about the miracle of your ability to health, in a healthy way eliminate the way you just did. You're about to eat? Stop! Before you put that food in your mouth. Is it kosher? Say a bracha. You're about to say something. Stop! Is it an appropriate thing to say? All of halacha is designed to slow us down. Laman taskilu. So that we are more mindful. You know what seichel is? So that you have a greater intellect. You know how you measure intellect and IQ? is not by taking an IQ test. How mindful are you? You could be the biggest brainiac in the world. You could go off the charts on the IQ test, but if you're not mindful in your life, you're an idiot and a moron and a fool. And if you don't have a great IQ, but you're mindful in everything that you do, you will lead a more successful, a more fulfilled, and a happier life. So all of halacha is designed to bring us into the present, to slow us down, to be mindful, to have a higher state of consciousness. The final al-chait, we're in the period already of the Yom Naran Elul. The last al-chait that we're going to say a short time from now is al-chait shechatanu lefanecha besimhon levav. Al-chait, God forgive me for the grievous sin that I did when I did simhon levav. I don't remember doing simhon levav. I don't even know what simhon levav is. What is simhon levav? God forgive me. Al-chait shechatanu lefanecha besimhon levav. What's simhon levav? These words actually come, Parsha's Kisavo, our Parsha. In the Tochacha it says, Yakcha Hashem b'shiga'on u'v'ivaron u'v'simhon levav. When it describes what Hashem is going to do to us, 
if we are not obedient, if we neglect His word, then it says, He'll strike us with madness, with blindness, and besimhon levav. What does that mean? A confounding of the heart. Rashi in our Pasha says, Simhon Levav means Utem Halev, the clogging of the heart. Just as cholesterol clogs the physical arteries, you get heart disease. So apathy, indifference, autopilot clogs the spiritual arteries. You become hard hearted. And that's a great curse. That's part of the Tokha. God will strike you with Simhon Levav. You'll be indifferent and apathetic. Your life will be on autopilot. You won't be mindful in anything that you do. Your whole life will flash before you and you won't appreciate or enjoy anything. And that's the achet that we offer God. I beg forgiveness that I wasn't mindful, that I was checked out, that I was on autopilot. Simhon Levav, the great Baal Musar of Simcha Zissel Ziv, the altar of Kelm, elaborates on this idea. He writes, quote, Simhon Levav is the closing off of the heart as if a deep sleep overwhelms the person. It's similar to when a person is put to sleep with anesthesia for purpose of an operation on one of his limbs. While he's submerged in a deep sleep, he feels nothing when they cut into his flesh. So too, when a person's heart has been stuck with clogging of the heart, he's stuck in a deep sleep. He doesn't wake up even if his life is in danger. So that is the last Pasuk. You want to have pleasure? You want to have happiness? You want to have meaning in your life? Laman taskilu. You want Hatzlacha, you want success in your life. Laman Taskilu says the Targum Yerushalmi did his have his bonus. His bonus means a contemplative, mindful, present life. Slow down. All of halacha is designed to get us to slow down. Society encourages us to think of the winner as the one who comes in first, but often the winner is the one who comes in last, the one who takes his time. Savor. Think about it for a minute. The greatest pleasures in life, the greatest pleasures in life are not experienced quickly, but are savored. They're savored. Whether it's a fine single malt scotch or a great glass of wine, you have to roll it on your tongue and take in the aroma and savor it. Not like the Kiddush Club guys who think they're impressing each other when they down it in one shot and burn a hole in their esophagus. That's not uh, the real experts. Speak to the Scots and the Irish, that's not how they drink. Right? We're, we're tempted to eat fast food. We shovel it in our mouths. The Rambam writes in Mishnah Torah, the Rambam writes, we should chew our food until it becomes a liquid before we swallow it. That's how much you need to chew your food. That's how mindful we should be when we chew. Everything. We're breathing. Our breathing rates are too fast. Every area and every aspect of life, we need to slow it down. Slow it down. So that's Laman Taskilu. The Ibn Ezra is, it's about Hatzlacha. The uh, Sforno says so that it's, you can achieve all your hopes and dreams in this world and the next. But the Targum Yerushalmi says it's his boninus. It is a contemplative mindfulness. And if we have mindfulness in all that we do, the details and minutia of halacha are there to get us to be mindful. That's how we achieve and reach success. Have a great week. Next week we are off. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. I was in Washington. And next week I'm actually going back to Washington. We're still working on uh, fighting this deal, so I'm not here next Wednesday. But you can listen online. We have Parsha Shiram from previous years. How are you doing?